bum bum bottom 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 bum
put myself out there more. And if that means being uncomfortable, well, that's just going to be how it's going to be. Yeah, spring has sprung. We've uh, started uh, having more walks outside, meeting nature every week. Lisa, we tend to go on, I don't know, three or four walks a week. Yeah. We've talked a lot about Brene Brown, (laughs) and we've talked a lot about Thanos and Mistress Death, and that's been a lot of fun for me. Absolutely. And I'm trying to feel you out, see what you're going to say on the podcast. (laughs) I'm always mining you for material. Well, to be continued on that front. But we didn't talk about this on the In the Mouth of Darkness episode, but where would you put Endgame uh, amongst the other MCU movies as far as like ranking it of the 22 films? Brad is an obsessive ranker. He (laughs) loves to do it. If you follow him on Letterboxd, you'll see he loves to curate his lists and on his own terms, reveal his list. Uh, if you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll see that I don't post on Letterboxd. And at the end of every episode of uh, In the Mouth of Dorkness, I go, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And then um, and then I just disappoint people. All right, but you're, you're dancing around the question. Where would you put Endgame? Just, just in, like, I'm not asking you to have every entry ranked, but just feeling wise, is it top tier, mid tier, low tier? To me, I would say that it's the bottom of the top tier. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I love it as much as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that I love it as much as um, Infinity War. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not going to say. So you did like Infinity War I do like Infinity War more. Infinity War more. That's hard to say. Um, I do I do like it more because there was not, I think there was no expectation of what I wanted it to be. And then like with this, with Endgame being a second half, I think you just by habit bring more expectations. And plus, like talking about vulnerability, they're trying to tie up a lot of ends mm-hmm. in Endgame. And I think that that's, like narratively a hard harder thing to do than create open endings. Sure. I I think, I think Endgame sticks the landing better than I maybe even anticipated anticipated as a Marvel fanboy. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say this is top tier. I wouldn't necessarily say it's medium tier. I have ranked all 22. It's number six on my list of the 22 Marvel movies. So that's the bottom of the top tier. I would bottom of the top tier, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. So we're the same. Uh, What I would say why I like infinity war more than Endgame is because it's, a more of a Thanos story. Mm. And I am a Thanos nut. <laughs> if you've been listening to these past Thanos and death episodes, you should know this. And the Thanos in Infinity War is incredibly interesting. I would actually say that the Thanos that we see in Endgame is more of the Jim Starlin variety. Um, but to explain that any further, I really have to dig into spoilers. And I'm not going to do that here, folks, because it's only been out in theaters for two weekends. So if you want me to explore that more, find me on uh, Twitter at MouthDork and I'll, I'll tell you there. Uh, but yes, so, okay. That's our Avengers Endgame uh, conversation. Uh, you're welcome. You're, yeah, that is you're a really welcome. weird way to end a conversation. This is the end of the conversation. We're recording this episode on Free Comic Book Day. We ventured out to Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, it Maryland. It was a madhouse, a madhouse. 
you know, in years past, we've done like a comic book crawl the way that some people might do a bar crawl. Mm -hmm. And we jump around to, you know, Big Planet Comics and the amazing comic book shop in Fairfax and uh, Comic Logic in Ashburn and um, Victory Comics in uh, Falls Church. But this year, we decided we were going to haul our butts all the way out to Annapolis, which is a bit of a hike. And with today's traffic, it's a practically a two-hour drive for us. But man, did they put out a show. It is a madhouse. There's a guy in the parking lot who's directing traffic. He almost turned us away. But thankfully, just as we got there, somebody was leaving their spot. And he halted us from leaving and said, no, no, come back. And we drove back in. And there's hundreds of people in that shop. It's a massive store. They make it a real destination. And... Even though it was crowded and we were like shoulder to shoulder with fellow comic book nerds, it really felt like a, a celebratory communal experience. Yeah. And what I like about it is, of course, people come out for the free comic books, uh, you know, that selection that Marvel and DC and the other publishers put together. Uh, but for me, it's always been about being in the room with all your fellow comic book nerds and finding something uh, to purchase to contribute to that shop's uh, funds because, you know, they add in a lot of employees. You can't just come up and take a bunch of free comic books. And so it's fun to find, like, a couple hardcovers to purchase while you're there at Free Comic Book Day. And they make sure there's tons of other stuff to do. They had face painting for kids. They had people, they had authors that come and do signings. They have um, sales, which a lot of sure. other comic book stores actually can't afford to do. Right. They were doing a big 20% off of uh, And then they also had a novels. huge 50% off section. Yeah. And I found a couple really cool Jeff Johns written Avengers trades I've yes. never read. The Search for She-Hulk. We got the fourth volume of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which we could not find at Awesome Con. Yep. So that was nice. And you bought a book called Relish, which was like another kitchen or a baking, cooking comic a la Bloom. It's funny that you say a la Bloom, because not only is this book about cooking, it's about, oh, it's from First Second Books, the same publisher. Quickly becoming one of our favorite publishers. Absolutely. They, like, just in terms of, like, a tactile experience, their books are, like, a great, like, not, like, oversized comic book size, but it's more of a novel size. Yeah. They always a, use super nice mm -hmm, paper. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous book. And they find really unique artists and stories. Um, but I did not find this book through Bloom. I actually found it through another book called My Boyfriend is a Bear by Pamela Ribbon. Yeah. Or Ribbon. I don't know how to pronounce it. R-I-B-O-N. Um, but the last time we were hanging out at Big Planet... I casually picked up My Boyfriend is a Bear and accidentally read the whole book and absolutely fell in love with it. And I then, was working there that day. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so then, like, uh, and because Brad was working there and we were hanging out and talking, um, an elder woman came up to me and was like, I want to get into comic books. My husband's of 90 years is into comic books. Now's my time. And uh, she's like, well, what do you like? What do you, what comic books do you like? So um, I, of course, took her to the Silver Surfer. Um, Kevin, I did recommend Bloom, <laughs> uh, Mr. Miracle. And I recommended My Boyfriend is a Bear. 
And uh, she bought it, and it was the only copy in the store. <laughs> you were so bad because you're like, Brad, give me another copy of this book. I was like, no, Lisa, that was our only copy. There's none in the store. So I was like, oh, no. And when we went to Third Eye today, you went looking for that comic. They didn't have it, so you got relish. And because I found it in, found my boyfriend is a bear in an independent comic store, I wanted to buy it from an independent comic store. Sure. But anyway... I didn't find it. You got relish. I did find, uh, I I went on Amazon. It was like, books, people who bought this book got this book. And so that's relish. So it's called Relish, My Life in the Kitchen by Lucy Kinsley, K-N-I-S-L-E-Y. What attracted me to it beyond it, you know, the recommendation on Amazon is that it's got diagrams. Look at how (laughs) cute this is. I, I flipped through it earlier. It's an adorable looking book. Yeah, and it has, like, I think they're recipes. Yeah. Di- diagrammatical recipes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm I'll into read it. it. I'll read it for sure. And like you said, for a second, they, you know, they're, they're putting out amazing books right now. And it feels good. Yeah. The pages are numbered. Okay, Lisa. Yes. Let's get into it. We've been rambling on long enough. It's time to talk Deadpool versus Thanos. Yes. Our first time talking about Deadpool on CBCC. That is crazy. Um, Not really. Is be- it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a big Deadpool fan. Me neither. <laughs> uh, you know, he's one of those 90s characters that I was excited about when I was 12 years old and then lost interest in quickly. But uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Jonita Davis, uh, you can follow her on Jonita L. Davis. She's a fellow film journalist. Woot. And uh, you can find most of her writings on Black Girl Nerds. She was adamant that I would enjoy this comic book, Deadpool versus Thanos, and really pushed me to pick it up. So that's what we're doing. We're exploring it thanks to her. Uh, I hope we like it. Let's find out. Yay! So Deadpool, he was created by Fabian Nitsizia. If I'm butchering your name, Nitsizia? sir. Nitsizia? I'm sorry. I, it's a hard one to pronounce. I apologize. And uh, also created by Rob Liefeld. Uh, he first appeared in New Mutants number 98. I remember picking that comic right off the stands. I still have it in my collection. But Lisa, my question to you is. Yes. You know, I, I think you spoiled it a little bit. You're not a big Deadpool fan. What's your experience with the character so far? I generally experience him as like a side character. The last time I really remember enjoying him was in Secret Avengers Volume 1 by Alice Cott. Mm, um, love that comic. So funny. And we should find a way to do that book sometime. Maybe with Modoc and his relationship with, uh, is that Maria Hill in the book? I can't remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That would be wonderful. Or anytime, like, you know, teams are a type of relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. It. But we'll that's one it. of our favorite books. I, I really enjoyed it. And so I've tried to find other stuff by Alice Cott. I was like, he's so smart and funny. Let's see what else he's written. And everything else he's written is like super serious. Yeah, very grim. But what I enjoy about Deadpool is like, he's like a, he's like Kumin, where like, I find like, I enjoy cuisines that use cumin, <laughs> but then on its own, cumin just kind of smells like armpits to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's Deadpool. I like Deadpool as a like a, as like a spice, but he's like he can't be the center of the dish for me. It just Deadpool, doesn't... he's like armpits to me. Yeah, but have oh, you ever man. smelled cumin on sure, its own? Sure, sure. Uh, I like it. Put that on the poster. You know, for me. 
like I said, I encountered him back in the 90s. He was your basic uh, extreme character. He had a cool suit that looked a lot like Spider-Man, but with a whole bunch of more guns and pouches strapped onto it. Uh, basically, he's Spider-Man meets the uh, Teen Titans bad guy Deathstroke. In fact, Deadpool's real name, Wade Wilson, is a direct reference to Deathstroke's name of Slade Wilson. See huh. what they did there, Lisa? <laughs> Slade. Slade. Oh, Teen Titans go to the movies. So good. How can we do that on this podcast? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, but what's cool about that is, so Deadpool is basically a riff off of Deathstroke and the Spider-Man costume, and Thanos is your bargain basement version of Darkseid and Mentor. Right. You know, Starlin was making a reference to the Jack Kirby New Gods stuff. And so you have these two ripoff characters coming together in this comic. I, I like that a lot. According to Nietzsche, Liefeld came up with the character's visual design and name, and Nietzsche came up with the character's speech mannerisms, right? And I got to say, I love Liefeld as a cartoonist. There was a period there where it became very popular to mock his designs you know he can't draw feet he draws too many pouches the uh musculature is all wrong but the thing about Liefeld is you see one of his drawings and it's unmistakably a Liefeld drawing as a cartoonist he has a signature and there are so many blah and blank artists out there that to take a dump on Liefeld you're kind of missing the point he is a cartoonist like him or don't, but don't mock the guy. He has a style. And now, because Deadpool has become this incredibly popular movie, people are suddenly letting go of their hate, embracing Liefeld as the creator of Deadpool, and are looking to read new work from him. He just had this uh, comic come out from Marvel called Major X. I haven't read it yet, but I'm kind of curious. I feel like us going to comic book conventions all over this great nation. Over the past decade, we've literally seen the down and up of Rob Liefeld's yes, career. for sure. At San Diego Comic-Con alone, when we first would go there, nobody was in his line. Yeah, Brad would point out Rob Liefeld's table to me and tell me how sad it was that nobody was there, including him. Yeah, don't, Heartless, don't Brad. Don't make me sound like a total <laughs> jerk, but it's true. Uh, and now he has a massive line and, oh, one of my favorite gas lamp memories at San Diego was running to him in the street and just yeah. shouting love at him and him receiving it and shouting love back. That was cool. That's that old Comic-Con magic, bringing creator and fan together. Yeah, it's why we go there every year. <laughs> now, what you can't deny is that the Deadpool that's in these incredibly popular blockbuster movies is not the Deadpool that came onto the page in 1991. And I think his journey to the current incarnation really began in 1997, when Deadpool was given his own monthly series and it was written by Joe Kelly and illustrated by Ed McGinnis. Um, this is kind of where the more comedic aspects of the character were, were brought in. Uh, Deadpool sort of becomes this force of parody within the Marvel Universe. And then by issue 37, uh, Christopher Priest took over as writer and he felt like Kelly's work was too dense for new readers. So he stripped down the 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 back uh, catalog information and made it just straight action comics. But he also wanted to make Deadpool more of a buffoon. And he wanted to show that this character could fail and could be wrong. 
And and could be, dare I say it, vulnerable? Vulnerable, yes. And while Kelly introduced the concept of breaking the fourth wall, Priest is the one who made it an essential aspect to the concept of Deadpool. And then by issue 65, Priest is gone and Gail Simone takes over on the character. And what her run does is introduce the yellow caption box or it turns the yellow caption box into this barn door that's constantly swinging open and you could read every thought of Deadpool. And you really lived in his head, which was something that had not happened before. So you look at the character today and it took many writers and many artists to bring this Deadpool, this Merc with a mouth to life. It's fascinating. And in a lot of ways, Deadpool represents what's amazing about the very medium of comic books, that uh, it is a well for many creatives to fill. So dirty. Lisa, yeah, dirty. <laughs> Deadpool would have a really good chimichanga line in there. Uh, Lisa, we're using Brene Brown to talk about Thanos and Mistress Death. How are we going to bring her into this conversation with Deadpool versus Thanos? So we agree that this episode is not about the relationship of Thanos and Mistress Death, but really about the relationship of Thanos and Deadpool. Sure, I think that's probably true. There's more relationships go, go stuff going on between those folks than, say, Death. But there is stuff to talk about with Death and what Death does towards the end of this comic. Over these, this is our third Thanos Mistress Death comic. Their relationship thus far has been pretty one-dimensional. She dangles her affections <laughs> and he just keeps chomping after it yeah, like yeah, a yeah. like a ass with a carrot. Whoa. What? Yeah. Is that what asses do with carrots? I don't I'm not you need a whatever you do. <laughs> whatever you do in the privacy of your farm is up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's get to Brene Brown, my current obsession and our relationship guru expert for Thanos and Mistress Death. Brene Brown is a researcher in the super fun areas of vulnerability and shame. And the book we'll be referring to is her 2012 bestseller, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, love, parent, and lead. Her research shows that our fear of vulnerability is the greatest stumbling block to reaching our goals. Vulnerability is that squishy feeling we get every time we're confronted with uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. If you've been following our series on Thanos and Mistress Death thus far, maybe you've gone back to watch her record-breaking TED Talks on YouTube or watched her new special, A Call to Courage on Netflix, or maybe even you listened to her interview on Mark Marin, where I'm pretty sure Mark Marin was just straight up hitting on her, <laughs> which is what I would do if I was in her pre presence. Like, let's be real. Um, so we've talked a lot about how I've been looking at the, the world through my Brene Brown colored glasses. Ha has our open conversations about vulnerability and shame influenced how you've been living your life? Uh, I don't know. That's... I don't know if I tend to work that way. We've talked about it on this podcast in the past. I'm very resistant usually to self-help talk. Um, I will say that of the books we've read so far, this one 
makes the most amount of sense to me uh, or, or is the most relatable uh, that I feel like translates well to the way I behave and offers me solutions that might actually be helpful. But I would be lying if I said while I was, you know, conversing with other people about my day, I was thinking about uh, scarcity and vulnerability. I really don't think about it until we read the comic book for the episode or really when we have conversations. It's clear to me when we take our walks that you're thinking about this a lot and you're finding this really helpful in your own internal uh, conversations. Um, but I, I can't think of a moment right now where I felt like I was applying daring greatly to my life outside of subjects of this podcast. You don't think that you feel any more incl inclined to like take a risk? Um, well, uh, are you making a reference to something that we've recently risked on? Yes, we, yes, I am. Yeah, I really am. We, 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 we made a pitch for an article series uh, sort of tied to this podcast, which was then rejected. Super rejected and pretty quick. I pretty was surprised. Pretty quickly rejected. Swiftly. <laughs> Swiftly rejected. Uh, but you, I feel like you encouraged me to make that pitch uh, more than like the book did. And so I feel like if you felt you were encouraged to make that pitch because of Brene Brown, then that fed into me agreeing let's do this thing as an article series together that could be interesting and we are going to continue to pitch that idea to other uh sources uh and we'll see fingers crossed uh, or not whatever for me daring greatly really has influenced my willingness to fail where i feel like failure isn't a closed door anymore. It's just like, ah, uh, it's just one more step. Well, it's and logically we know that you're going to get more no's than yeses in life. And if you want to succeed at anything, you need to get those no's out of the way to get to your yes. I know that logically. Emotionally, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. And I think you do need support. And you have offered me a lot of support in that arena. Aww. Thank you, my love. So, okay, that's my long-winded uh, answer. No, if we wanted to edit that and just cut it down, you're like, no, Brene Brown has not influenced my life <laughs> at all. <laughs> I've learned nothing from this podcast. <laughs> that's not necessarily what I was saying. It's okay. I'm just going to go on. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's... I know what I just said sounds like I am dismissing the very concept of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that That's not true. Having these conversations has had an effect on me. Maybe in the moment when you ask me that question, I can't think of a specific example. But I do think about um, how, you know, Brene Brown talks about creating narratives. That is something that I am thinking about a lot right now. I can't think of a specific moment this week where I was thinking about the concept of how you create a narrative and you let that narrative fester. But that is something that certainly happens. And I feel like if we stopped this conversation right now or we just moved on, you would fester around this narrative that you're <laughs> forming in your head. Right. Because right. it sounds like I'm being dismissive. I really don't want to sound like I'm being dismissive of the podcast. So like, you know, even if you're not like actively engaging in the Brene Brown-ness like I am, you're steeping in it. You're part of yeah. the Brene Brown. You're teabagging it. Is but, that, is that <laughs> what uh, Again, I would not use that terminology, but I, I do think about these concepts 
but maybe I'm not as active as you are with them in my daily life. But maybe I should be. Maybe that's what I should be using this podcast to do. Maybe this week you can try to integrate some of these concepts. You know, maybe noticing scarcity or noticing what's the narrative I'm creating. And then you can report back next week. All right. Well, well all right. Okay. Fair enough. Yay. Teabagging it. <laughs> Teabagging it. All right, Lisa, where to next? Last week, we talked about how in Infinity Gauntlet, Death manipulated Thanos right out of his god power glove by <laughs> cultivating a sense of scarcity. Scarcity is the sense of desperation we feel when we feel like we're not enough. The Mad Titan gets lost in what Brene Brown calls the hustle of worthiness, which refers to the exhausting dance we do to try to get validation from a system that runs on not giving it to you. We also discussed some of the co common vulnerability shields that we put up that we think protect us from vulnerability, but in fact, keep us from our goals. Foreboding joy and perfectionism. There was actually a third shield, numbing, which I totally forgot to put in my notes, but we know what that is. It's the reason I watch Gilmore Girls every fall on like an <laughs> endless loop. It's the reason we're buried in, in comic books and graphic novels. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's why I put Crossy Road on my phone just so I can disappear. Exactly. <laughs> um, so our aversion to being vulnerable comes down to the fact that we as human beings do not like being uncomfortable. We do not like to be caught under the red-hot spotlight of shame and failure. In Deadpool versus Thanos, both the Merc with a Mouth and the Mad Titan deal with their aversion to vulnerability in different ways. In Chapter 2, Debunking Vulnerability Myths, Brene Brown describes two misconceptions about vulnerability that fit these two tough guys with a T. Thanos falls under vulnerability myth number two. He thinks that he just doesn't do vulnerability. Thanos hates life for how vulnerable it is. It's why he's so infatuated with death. Death is the relief of, pa of pain. So think of Nebula. Nebula is his symbol of depravity, and she is just this eternal suffering. Right, Nebula from Infinity Gauntlet, not the MCU. Oh, yeah, that's right. Although Very important. parallels. Yeah. Um, so... She is just hovering in this place of suffering without the relief of death. That's how he sees all life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, he sees mm -hmm. his life as suffering. He sees all life as just wasting away, everybody just waiting for the moment of death. But because of his mad crush on death, Thanos is constantly being manipulated so that he can earn her affections. And by the end of this book... Even Deadpool can see right through his facade. Deadpool can point out what a contradiction mm -hmm. he is. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to, if you if you love death so much, why don't you freaking die already? <laughs> Deadpool falls under vulnerability myth number three. Vulnerability is letting it all hang out. Brene Brown delineates the difference between being vulnerable and using vulnerability. Being vulnerable is based on mutuality and requires boundaries and trust. Using vulnerability is violating other people's boundaries to deal with your unmet needs, mm, to get attention. For sure. Or to engage in shock and awe behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deadpool. Deadpool. That's Deadpool. <laughs> he is constantly poking at Thanos' vulnerability by oversharing about his attraction and sex life with death and 
he does it as an equalizer to bring Thanos back down to his level. Well, which is the sewer. Yeah. Yeah, the gutter. <laughs> um, as an introvert, I'm actually s- super sensitive to this oversharing behavior. And even though it seems like I'm a super open person on this podcast, I like to share elements of my life on my terms and in my time. And um, like, and oversharing situations tend to give me like emotional and social road rash. Like one of one one of the ones we come across all of the time is people asking when you and I are going to have children. Right. And never. To me, never is the answer. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you shouldn't ask a 35-year-old woman where her babies are at. Because the answer is either Brad and I cannot conceive. Right. And I'm devastated and I'm spending all of my money trying to conceive a child Two, I don't want kids and I reject your way of life. (laughs) And we think that you made a big time mistake and look how free we are. Or uh, I guess there's not a third. It's just not your business. (laughs) Um, But to me, like it feels like you're asking an intimate question as like a shorthand to intimacy with me. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. Another one is like bachelorette parties. Where, like, you're getting a bunch of disparate girlfriends together from different groups. So it's, like, it's Fran from work, and it's my best friend from second grade, and all of the losers I met in college. And let's all drink together and talk about our sex lives. And it feels like, oh, you're not being cool and part of the party unless you tell me exactly how many dudes you've slept with. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. I hate that. Gross. Gross. Um, This behavior may get these people over sharers vulnerability users, it may get them what they want in the short term, but it's at the cost of trust. Brene Brown defines trust as a product of vulnerability that grows over time and requires work, attention, and full engagement. Vulnerability without boundaries leads to disconnection, distrust, and disengagement. As we get to know someone, we slowly expose our vulnerabilities and how they're received is in direct relationship to like how much I trust that person. So like, for example, if I go to a bachelorette party and I share some kind of crazy young Lisa story, and then we go to the bar later and one of the girls is like, get Lisa a shot. She's made these specific mistakes. An experience that actually has happened in my life. (laughs) Like I'm not going to trust that person. And guess what? We don't hang out anymore. So, (laughs) yeah. Truth. Anyway, truth. Things got a little realer than I anticipated. That's okay. (laughs) Over the course of Deadpool versus Thanos, Thanos ironically learns to be more vulnerable with Deadpool. And between them, they build enough trust that it at least gets them to where Mistress Death is being caged. Beyond that, we do not know. This this relationship is not going to work out. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) Uh, I don't think any of these relationships are going to work out, but stay tuned. So uh, (laughs) Deadpool versus Thanos. It's a four issue miniseries written by Tim Seeley and illustrated by Elmo Bondock. I believe it was published weekly between November and December of 2015. And the cover illustrations were done by Luther Strode artist Trad Moore. And I love the covers Mm -hmm. of this series. Um, basic story. Can we do this quick? It's kind of hard, actually. The book opens up on Deadpool invading Dr. Doom's island getaway so that he can blast a hole in the crazed dictator's chest. Unfortunately, slash conveniently for all Latverian fans, Doom doesn't die. 
Doom instead zaps Deadpool and Wade Wilson awakens on the other side. While in this purgatory, he's waiting to score with Mrs. Mistress Death. They've been having an affair. Uh, but Wade discovers that Death has been kidnapped and someone is pulling her out of her domain. So back on Earth, Deadpool visits his buddy, Black Talon. Um, yeah, so Black Talon, Lisa, he's a witch doctor. He's dressed in a yellow chicken costume. I'd love to say that he was created exclusively as a joke for this comic book, but alas, he's an awkward voodoo stereotype that arose out of the 1970s, and he's clashed with everyone from She-Hulk to Captain America and the Punisher, Lisa. What? A socially tone-deaf racial character from the 1970s? I never would have thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you thought uh, Black Panther and Luke Cage comics of the era were problematic, characters like Black Talon and Brother Voodoo, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, Yikes. Yikes. Anyway, uh, so Black Talon tells Deadpool that he's been cursed by Thanos, and Wade assumes that the Mad Titan has kidnapped Mistress Death because of their affair. However, it turns out that nothing in the universe can die. Not only has Thanos cursed Deadpool with life, but Black Talon makes it sound like Thanos has cursed everyone with life and that he maybe kidnapped Mistress Death. And that's why no one on planet Earth is dying. I have a question. Yes. So I thought what I gathered from that conversation was that Wade Wilson already knew that he was cursed by Thanos. Yes, correct. So, yes. Uh, so for a second, I thought you were making it sound like Black Talon was telling him that he was cursed by Thanos, but I, he already knew that. He already knew that. I may have made it sound like that in my reading of my notes, but no, th that had happened before this comic even began. Yeah, so Black Talon was just saying, you know who is making people immortal all the time? Thanos. And Wade is like, duh. That's who got death. He's mad about my love affair with death. Everything is about me. So here's the thing, though. <laughs> he quickly has an encounter with Thanos. Thanos is like, no, that's not me. I don't know where death is. Let's go find death together. And that first issue ends with Thanos and Deadpool teaming up to go find death. And the next couple of issues are a series of wacky adventures in which Thanos and Deadpool go up against the Guardians of the Galaxy. They travel to hell and encounter Mephisto and Mephisto's son, Blackheart. And what you learn after their encounter down below is that eternity itself has removed death as a concept from its being. Now... Listeners, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Eternity. As Dan Slott, Silver Surfer fans, Lisa and yeah. I love Eternity. Yeah, we do. Uh, but here's the basic gist with Eternity. He was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko in 1965. He was a character in Doctor Strange comic books. And, all right, it's just, it's going to be convoluted. But this is the basic gist. Eternity is the second sentient force born after creation itself, a.k.a. the first firmament. There was a great cosmic war that occurred between the first firmament's creations called the Celestials and the Aspirants. The Celestials destroyed the first universe, and the Aspirants and the first firmament escaped into a void outside of creation. The bits and pieces from the first universe formed a second creation made up of many universes, and the animating force behind it would be dubbed Eternity. All that is. It's everything. 
and it can talk to you if it wants to. Yeah, it's got a face and his face is handsome. So what you learn is that eternity has gotten fed up with death's machinations, feels like death is playing beyond its normal natural process and has removed it totally because it's upset and mad. And now no one in the universe can die. And so the comic ends with Deadpool and Thanos, one being turned into zombies by death to fight eternity. But then at the last minute, death turns Deadpool back into his living self. And now Deadpool has to battle zombie Thanos, who's determined to kill eternity, therefore kill everything. And eternity fights back by infusing the cosmic powers of Captain Universe into Deadpool, and now Deadpool becomes an ultimate being versus zombie Thanos. They duke it out for a while until Deadpool convinces Death that Thanos serves life as much as her, basically by explaining how when Thanos cursed Deadpool with immortality, he was denying Death and serving life, and now Death turns her back once again on Thanos and removes his zombie powers. He vaporizes into nothing, but later appears in Black Talon's mirror, and that's the end of everything. And yeah. Eternity's, I guess, happy with it all. Yeah. How it all shakes out. Death goes back into him, and people start dying again. And, uh, and it's a truly beautiful thing, and it's the way life is meant to be. Yeah, so that's Deadpool versus Thanos, Lisa. My question to you is, you don't like him generally. He's the armpit of Marvel Comics. Not he, the armpit. He's the cumin. He's the cumin of Marvel Comics. I like cumin. I cook with cumin. Did this comic book uh, make you appreciate Deadpool more? Or did, or did you even enjoy this comic? I actually ended up enjoying, uh, enjoying the message of this comic more than I enjoyed the actual comic. Like I loved going through and looking at my notes and seeing oh my goodness, they find, like, they have these bizarrely parallel lives, and yet one becomes a villain of sorts. One becomes a hero, uh, kinda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found that to be really fascinating. And this idea of both of them ultimately wanting to avoid discomfort. The, them both... Um, mm, Loving death, like the idea of being relieved of their horrible lives, but at the same time being a part of life. I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to get to how I feel by discussing the comic. That's fine. That's fine. I, I can tell you that the first issue I mildly chuckled at. The second issue with the Guardians of the Galaxy I wasn't really into. Right. But once they got to Mephisto and Hell. And oh, all, I know you love you some Mephisto. I love all of that stuff. And then when Eternity shows up and you realize what has happened and the, that the, that Eternity is just pissed off. So he's ceased death. He's ripped death out of himself. I, you know, oh, that's just pure cosmic that, gold. I love that idea of a concept. And then how the in-betweener comes and tries to mediate. Yep, yep, yep. With eternity and how 
Deadpool and Thanos kind of screwed that up for them. Now that we've had Avengers Endgame and we've kind of put a button to this whole Mad Titan Infinity Saga stuff, I would love the Marvel Universe to explore these cosmic abstracts like Eternity and the Inbetweener and his boss, you know, Order and Chaos. I this- think that the co- the common movie fan, like, is ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. I the MCU so has done such a great job of getting weirder and weirder and weirder. It's like, hey, do, do you like a man in a robot suit? Yeah, we do. That's that's great. How about would you like a guy who gets big and turns green? We're like, yes. If it's because of science, yes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, here's Thor, the god of thunder, <laughs> and we're and like, a rocket weird, raccoon. but we're in. <laughs> yeah, we're totally in at this point. So yes, y- y- eternity, bring it, MCU. Okay, Lisa. So let's dig into this using Brene Brown exploring Thanos and Deadpool because death has been removed and does not play much of a factor into it. Although I think we'll come back to her at the end when the whole eternity punching match happens. Yeah, we will. Okay. Take us away, Lisa. Where do we want to start? Let's start with the first time Wade Wilson sees death. After he's died or he's gone to that purgatory realm uh, when Dr. Doom zaps him. And apparently this is a place he frequents all of the time. Since he can't technically die. He goes to the in-between place. Right. So before his healing can kick in, okay. he goes to this like void. And he's wearing uh, an afro. He's got a bathrobe over his costume. He's got a mustache over his mask. It's very silly, Lisa. And he and he's he's speaking to his self. Uh, he's speaking to himself. I must say, my favorite part of being part of a near-death experience is getting to be near death. I mean, like, really near. Like, you know, all up in death. Gross. Super gross. I like that. <laughs> of all of the descriptors of sex, all up in has <laughs> got to be my least favorite. Just disgusting. Getting them guts, Lisa. <laughs> uh, How dare you make it worse? Uh, this page is the type of Deadpool I really dislike. Um, You know, the aggressively offensive, the aggressively comedic, you know, like, why is he in the Afro? I don't find it funny. And I was ready to bail from this comic mentally and just plow through. This is where I could have shut the book and never picked it up again. But because we were doing it for this podcast, I kept going. And like I said, I am thankful because I ended up enjoying it. So he looks into the window. It's death, but like not like pretty, you know, infinity gauntlet death. It's It's like full on Skeletor Skeletor death. And she's like, Wade Wilson. And he's like, you know, I thought we were going to bump bones. And Ugh. she was like, wait. And she's clearly being pulled away. No, thank you. And so <laughs> she disappears. That's when he goes to Black Talon. Yeah. Finds out what's going on, or at least thinks he knows what's going on. Cut to Thanos beating Deadpool to like literal pulp. Right. And technically, I guess that's also the beginning. The comic starts in the present with Thanos turning Deadpool into mush. I love that panel where you see, I mean, he has been literally flattened Flattened. (laughs) into like a 2D plane of blood. Yeah, like he still has a couple ribs poking out, but he's pretty much just like a fruit roll-up. But when he's in that state, he ends up going to that in-between place where this time he is in a snowy landscape and he finds Mistress Death underneath the ice and she's saying wade wilson wade you must save me please the light is dwindling and i now need you more than ever 
And somehow Thanos gets a sense of this. He knows that his sweet mistress is communicating with Wade. And even though he hates Deadpool because he's been having this affair with his beloved mistress death, he reluctantly agrees to partner. And uh, yeah, you know, Deadpool breaks out some crazy big machine gun and they are uh, a big splash page moment to close out that first issue. Wait, not so quick before you close out the issue. Oh, sorry. I think we should talk about how Thanos presents this deal with Deadpool to save Mistress Death because he opens with an area of vulnerability where he starts with, I understood almost from birth when my mother attempted to murder me that life was not a gift to be celebrated, mm. but rather an un, an imperfect bane. So he's he opens with this kind of open wound he has from being rejected by his mother. Um, but he goes on, but now life runs unchecked, a resilient plague no longer contained by the sweet antidote of death. So what I like about Tim Seeley's take on these two characters together is that while Deadpool is very jokey-jokey in your face throughout the book, Thanos is never used as a joke. He, he speaks earnestly as we've encountered Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos Rising. He's he's never winking. Right. And yeah, I agree. He's incredibly vulnerable there. And I'm surprised he would share a thought like that with Deadpool so early on in this relationship. And he ends by saying, you know, I don't know why she picked only you to communicate, but because of that, I need you a lot. Like I personally need you yeah, a lot. And it's killing him. He's infuriated. And he tries to offer him money because he knows he's a mercenary. Jewels, actually, a fistful of jewels. And um Wade's like, no, nah, this is a free one. Buddy, put you can put those rocks back in your purse. This one's a freebie. Yeah. yeah. And that's the splash page. We can move on now. All right, Lisa, where do would you like to move on to with these Guardians of the Galaxies or before that? Why, Brad? I want to go so far into the distance into the very first page of the next issue. <laughs> okay. I am nothing if not thorough. <laughs> We're gonna be here all night, folks. <laughs> but um we cut to Thanos staring at the abyss of space from Cable's future spaceship that Deadpool has stolen yep, in the past, yep. recent past. And he is transcribing a letter of affection to Mistress Death, and he's describing everything that's been happening since she's been taken. So people with horrible diseases are just in festering pain without being able to die. Predators are gnawing on animals that will not die in their jaws and they're just getting weak and starving to death. And then um, aliens of obliterated planets are just floating out in the abyss without being able to die. Right, so if your sun explodes and your planet goes with it, you're still drifting in space totally conscious. And yeah, just torture. But what if you're completely obliterated with that planet? What if you turn to vapor? Are you are you then conscious? Then you're sentient vapor going ow, 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 ow. It hurts to be vapor. <laughs> yeah. But one of the most moving panels I find, and then this panel returns at the All end of the All of these book, panels come back. Is um, 
And in hospices across the galaxies, those that should be welcoming your embrace now flaunt their newfound persistence in an obscene renunciation of your gift. So it shows what must be a son and a grandson embracing the face of their grandparent. And they're super happy. And they're so happy. She's not dead. That that they're not dying. Have you ever seen the movie on borrowed time an old black and white? I think it's from 1939. And the story is about a grandfather whose son is dying of some disease, maybe leukemia or something. And he has trapped the physical embodiment of death up in his tree outside of his house. And as long as death is in his tree, nobody on planet earth dies. Oh my goodness. And so it's all about learning that he has to let death out of his tree eventually and allow his son to die. Or his grandson to die. Oh, that's heartbreaking. 1939, super, super, super sad movie. Uh, recommended. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> I like a good cry. But um, as Thanos is, I guess, finishing up his letter, he can't help but add, like, but when you were threatened, captured, hurt, my dearest mistress death, it was not Thanos of Titan you called upon. So his fifis have been hurt. Yeah. And she knows that, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he can't help but say, like, hey, why would you... Like, Wade Wilson is just, like, a dweeb from Canada. Why he, would you call upon him? Even though we now know that death has been removed by eternity, she's still manipulating Thanos through yeah. Deadpool. She cannot help but play her creepy mind games. This is very much the death from Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos Rising, which I also appreciate. So Deadpool, he doesn't get to finish his letter because, of course, Deadpool bursts in. Yeah, jerk. Writing an, um, what is this thing called? An Outrider? Yeah, Outrider, yeah. Oh, I shouldn't have hesitated you on knew, what they're you called. You knew what it was. <laughs> um, but, you know, Thanos is going like, you have to stop being a jerk. Like, all you are is just like, you know, this kind of device through which Mistress Death has has chosen to communicate, and here I am trying to solve this mystery. And He will not show Deadpool that he's hurt by Mistress Death's uh, puppet strings. Right, and... He refuses to be vulnerable in front of him. Right, And, and Thanos is going like, you know, like, you don't see this because you have a feeble mind, but what she's referring to by dwindling light is this like obscure uh, old mine, abandoned mine. That's obviously what she's talking about. And, um, you know, as this is the only clue I have to find my beloved. And um, Deadpool is like, uh, our, our <laughs> beloved. What a jerk. And, um, and he, he says, like, don't forget, we've both done the sled run down Death Mountain. Oof. And he calls... Thanos, a toboggan brother. <laughs> like this idea of like, you think you're so special yeah. that Miss that Mistress Death is your great love, but don't forget, been there, yeah. done so that, like, tobo- for, toboggan brothers. For all I give Deadpool of being just this crass, you know, over the top, um, grotesque creation, when he lays down some knowledge calling Thanos his toboggan buddy using that cra- crass logic, I mean, that's pretty brilliant. That's a great moment of the comic. And whenever, like, Thanos is putting them down, he does do a little vulnerability sweep of the leg, saying that, like, Thanos needs six Viagra to rock the mic and shit like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> terrible, but again, that is effective. funny. It's effective, yeah. In and it's case, effective against a guy like Thanos. That, you know, the absurdity of this partnership is the appeal of this comic, clearly. And, you know, it, it wins you over as you're going along, but it, it, I was resistant to it. So let's actually skip ahead uh, over some other plotty plot stuff. And now um, Thanos' ship, or I guess I'm calling it Thanos' ship. I guess it's really Cable ship. Gets the back ripped out by Abyss Man. And uh, Thanos takes care of him quickly. But then Deadpool is like, actually, we need that guy because... Uh, yeah, death yeah. mentioned a man from hell and that guy is definitely from hell because I was the guy who sent him there. So we're going to use Abyss as a doorway to hell. Exactly. So Thanos, um, oh, and in getting him back, he accidentally sets Deadpool super on fire and <laughs> Deadpool ends up going to that in-between place. But in this time, he ends up going back to a memory of him being experimented on by the crazy doctor guy with the eye thing and, and Abyss Man. Yeah, and Abyss Man's Francis. He's the villain from the first Deadpool movie. Francis Fanny. That's right. I would become a villain if my last name was Fanny too. <laughs> but um, we know that it's in the in-between place because then death comes in and she's like, don't fight it, just let it happen. And then when he comes back to consciousness, we find out that Thanos has been torturing Francis. And while Francis doesn't know where Mistress Death is, Francis did tell Thanos all about how Wade was this weakling runt of a person and he wasn't expected to ever live through these experiments. But despite that, he just kept living and, in fact, thriving. Yeah, yeah. He's and, admiring his uh, uh, terrible partner. Right. And he said, doomed from conception, and yet you lived, thrived even. I dot, 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 respect that. So that is a huge, in terms of creating trust through vulnerability, a huge step coming from Thanos. Doesn't last long, though. No, it does. And... <laughs> Later, Deadpool completely throws it back in his face <laughs> to defeat him. But momentarily, a beautiful moment. Um, but it turns out the guy from hell wasn't the Abyss Man at all. It was Mephisto. Bum, bum, bum. Should have guessed. Oh, wait, did guess. And it wasn't Mephisto. It was Eternity. But whatever. But in hell, while their time in hell, I think it's really important to mention that they ended up bumping into some old colleagues down there, a bunch of people they sent to hell, including... Thanos' mother, Suisan, and seeing his mom kind of took him aback, and Deadpool was the one to actually vanquish his mother in hell, and Thanos is like, thanks. You know what's interesting about the Marvel hell as ruled by Mephisto? Um, they talk about how, you know, the Asgards have Valhalla, the Terrans have heaven, but all creatures that are bad when they die come to me. But that's not true because then there's hell with one L with the Asgards and Hela rules over that and Surtur. I don't, I don't understand the afterlife for Marvel's. But point I of view. like, I wonder if it's like you know, like when you're like we call Germany Germany, but oh yeah, they they call it Deutschland. Yeah, uh, yeah. maybe it's like that <laughs> where everybody just has their own name for it, for it, but it's but all Mephisto the same place. specifically says you know people go to all their various heavens, right? But 
all the bad people come to me. And so that's what they're fighting here. Yeah, but I guess everybody wants to kick it with their God, but nobody, when it comes to being tortured for all eternity, people are not that picky. Sure, sure, sure. And what ends up happening is Blackheart, the son of Mephisto, attacks his dad, uh, allowing for a distraction. Thanos, you know, gives a, a the, the Black Blackheart the whelp a good tanning with his the back of his hand, and that's when we learn that Mephisto actually has not been trapping death. That he, you know he wants people die because when people die, they come to him. And we learned that no eternity itself uh, is holding. And do death. you know how they solve that crime? How they solve that mystery? Is death just tells Deadpool like off panel? <laughs> Deadpool pops up. It's just like actually, I know where it is. I saw it. She showed me. She used the last of her powers to show me. And that's the type of stuff that Deadpool does. You know, fourth wall stuff to get the plot going along that annoys me. But I didn't care because now eternity is entering the book, and as we previously discussed, eternity is totally rad. What I find especially rad is we have several panels of these two siblings, death and eternity, just kind of talking it out. Well, eternity doing all the talking. (laughs) And eternity is like, you don't understand what it's like to be me, to have these parts of yourself just lost, infinity gems, to Galactus's hunger, to annihilation waves, to your embrace. Like, I love all parts of myself. Yeah, that and little moon you destroyed, that's one of my favorite moons. That was mine. <laughs> and he, he says, because you're unable to comprehend, dear sister, I will not let you judge me. I will not be judged. And that's when the in-betweener comes along, and he is the emissary of Master Order and Lord Chaos, and he's going like, well, now I, I like I hate to point this out to you, and I understand where you're coming from, but like now with like death being gone, like things are kind of going towards, you know, the chaos side. The and I just like is, to see yeah, keep the, things even. The, the balance is 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 ruptured. Yeah. You're screwing it all up, dude. Get a hold of yourself. And it seems like the in betweener is making a little headway. I think. But then, um, and this is this is my favorite thing about this comic book is it ultimately is a story of eternity, life itself having a crisis of faith, mm-hmm. and 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 is punishing itself by removing death from it. It does not know what to do. Oh shoot! I skipped something really, really important. All right, bring it. Bring that it. That I think is the key to everything. So one thing that eternity says to. His sister, which I think is the answer to her entire relationship with Thanos, is this. You believe I have been manipulated. This is eternity speaking. You believe I have been manipulated. Use. And that is your way. To never truly understand compassion or love. And thus you believe my actions could only be caused by trickery. So we think about this like... um, cycle of scarcity she has created with Mm. Thanos. She has no compassion for Thanos. She has no love for Thanos. So the only thing she knows is tricking. She's just tricking Thanos. And so because of that, she has, she doesn't care to see Thanos suffer and suffer and suffer. 
Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, she's a monster. She is a monster, <laughs> but she's a necessary well, monster. And, well, and she's a monster that you know that that is expressing herself through what she is. We can't really begrudge death for wanting death. That's her pur- purpose. Right. Right. So, okay. Anyway, touchy moment. Uh, but then Deadpool and Thanos and the, and the Black Talon. Pop up. Yeah, the Black Talon has been pulled out of eternity with Thanos and Deadpool. He looks super confused. So (laughs) confused. I'm confused. What are you doing here, Black Talon? But of course, Thanos is like, look how far I've traveled. This is a proof of my loyalty to you. And the first thing that Death says is, Wade Wilson, my love. Monster. (laughs) Uh, Give me some bone. That's what she said. The way uh, Elmo Bondock expresses Thanos's hurt rage in those bottom panels of that particular page after death has uh, expressed interest in Deadpool in front of Thanos, that those hurt rage faces are very effective. Right. And the- he completely loses himself in his rage, forgetting that he was supposed to be call- like kind of quiet so he didn't like get the attention of But I don't eternity. think I've ever seen Thanos drawn this way before with these big bloodshot wide red eyes. To me, I, I like, love them. I love them. I'm moved by the depth of his, like, the shape of his teeth. Mm. Like, like the shape of his mouth and how they're just like, I don't know. It's hard I, to describe. Yeah, I, Like, if I was, you know, this is not going to be one of my top five Thanos comics, but that expression right there, the bottom left-hand panel where we first see, like, the bloodshot eyes. Yeah. Although we see the bloodshot eyes when they're in hell, too. But that panel right there is one of my top five favorite Thanos expressions. It's great. It's awesome. It's totally awesome. Worth the comic alone, in my opinion. But anyway, Eternity, he's like, w- what is happening? <laughs> he banishes the in-betweener. He's losing it, man. He's losing it. So that's when um, Death gives them both her powers. Zombie powers. Zombie powers. And they start tag teaming on Eternity. Yeah. And so here's Deadpool zombie, Thanos zombie, literally punching Eternity. And as he's punching Eternity, you can see the planets and the moons within his body breaking. It's awesome. Yeah. But- for some reason, um, like uh, De- Deadpool kind of gets pulled away from Thanos, the combat. Yeah, Thanos is way deeper into it. Well, the rage. Yeah, he has more rage than Deadpool. And, Deadpool doesn't care enough to be that angry. And as soon as Deadpool gets pulled away, Death takes her powers back, and it really what she really wanted was not Deadpool to defeat Eternity. She wanted. Thanos to defeat Eternity. Yep, 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 yep. And now Deadpool's like, oh, uh, this could be bad because if zombie Thanos beats Eternity to death, everything goes. The Black Talon is actually the one who brings that to Deadpool's attention. He said, each of us, a life spent worshiping death, and we'll all bear witness to her ultimate victory. This is it, Mr. Wilson. The end. So Eternity's in trouble, you know, a Thanos is pulling Eternity by the scruff of his head, and Eternity reaches out to the Uni power, the Captain Universe power, and one of those little space monkeys that we saw way back Before when. Before you do that, oh, oh, oh. So he, mm-hmm. so, um, Deadpool is like, okay, this is bad. I agree, and he starts trying to kill Thanos, stabby, stabby. 
and um, he he Thanos throws Deadpool, Deadpool back into, into eternity inside eternity. But what does Thanos say at the bottom on that last I, panel? I don't know. He says. Um, tell me, my love, are you not impressed? Right. Scarcity. Yeah. <laughs> Scarcity. This was all, he doesn't want to end eternity. He doesn't want to, like, his house is in there. Like, all of his stuff is in there. He's going to do it but if it's, death says, if that's yes, what she I do wants. love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Deadpool's been thrown back into eternity, and he runs into one of those terrified pink monkey things that has been floating in space because their planet has blown up in a supernova. And one of those little monkeys ha has the uni power, has the cosmic Captain Universe power, and is being tasked by Eternity to pass that cosmic brilliance to Deadpool, who then becomes Captain Universe. Right. Awesome, awesome. I want that action figure. They, of course, make reference to there will be a super hot variant. I don't think that's actually happened yet, but I would buy that Marvel Legends. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, sure. I would. And so Thanos is like the avatar of life wielded by an assassin. Truly, eternity is desperate. Oh, yeah. And this is what this is what turned me around on this comic and turned me from like this comic is a little bit goofy, but I'm like, I'm, I guess I'm kind of feeling it, too. I love at least the message of this story. And Deadpool goes like, don't you get it, Thanny? I'm crazy. I'm unpredictable. I'm erratic. I'm a contradiction. I am predator and prey. I am life itself. And so you think about like Brene Brown, like life to live your life to the fullest. You have to be all of these things. You have to try. You have to fail. You have to succeed. You have to die. You have to live. You have to hurt, you know. And then Thanos is like, you're everything I despise. And then, um, of course, the moment we were talking about um, that I respect that moment gets thrown back in his face. Like, if you despise death so much, why would you give me immortality? Like, mm. you're denying death one more soul. And yeah, um and then also he says, I, I'm just like you. Your mother decided you were too much of a freak mm, to live. Yeah, great moment. You shouldn't have survived, but here you are, big and mean in a lovely shade of mauve. And you keep coming back, Thanos. You refuse to let go. Mm -hmm. You refuse to let go of life. Mm -hmm. And so you, Thanos, are not a servant of death. You are a servant of life. And that's what shocks the death, mistress death, into realizing that mm, maybe Thanos doesn't deserve her zombie powers. And she removes his death strength from him and he obliterates, turns into nothing. Or right. does he? Uh, he? He'll pop up somewhere. We know Marvel. But <laughs> to me, I wonder like, does death intend to be self-defeating? Because like, who is she if eternity is gone? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That That is an interesting idea because at the end of this book, we feel like she, you know, she has been manipulating Thanos and Deadpool to this moment with the idea that let's see if they can take out Eternity. Well, let's see if Thanos could take out Eternity. She never had the intention right. of Deadpool doing it. Now, what if that had happened? You know, what if Thanos had destroyed Eternity? Would death just be cool in the void? I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I don't think that she would be... I don't know. She can't be happy. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. She's just, well, that's it. She is all purpose, as I was saying before. That's, she's just doing what she does. And that would have been the ultimate act of her being to destroy everything, to kill everything. Yeah. So she would have been fulfilled, I guess. But if that wasn't enough of a uh, kind of morality summing up <laughs> the story moment, uh, Deadpool and Eternity have a little moment where um, Eternity is like, you had, you have my gratitude. And um, Deadpool is like, well, you know, you really shouldn't have abducted death. You can't do that anymore because we've clearly seen what happens when there is no death. Trust me, I've spent the last few years immortal, being a total jerk. And if there's one thing I can say, it's that life needs death. Without death, life takes itself for granted. Without wondering how best to live our lives, we forget to appreciate the grandeur and beauty that is. Well, you, Eternity. And that goes back to the Brene Brown, like, to become a better person, you have to fall. For you to see the beauty in life, you have to engage with, you know, the darker side of life and so on. You speak with wisdom, Wade Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> How dare Eternity say such things. But then, of course, their encounter ends with Deadpool tickling yeah, Eternity. I think it's so cute. You love that. You I want, do. Yeah, you've taken a photo of it. You want that on your wall. Yeah, I do. I like. I couldn't put it on the internets because it's too spoilery, but I think it's so sweet. Lisa, that has not stopped the internet before. You can put spoilers <laughs> of a 2015 comic book on your Twitter feed. I permit it. I'll wait until this episode officially drops. By that time, all of our listeners should have read this book if they're doing their homework. So the book ends going back to all of those people who were not dying. Uh, we have the little pink monkeys. We have the predator eating his prey. And death is going on. We go back to the hospice. And now grandma is dead. And those children and grandchildren are beside themselves. And we are back on Doom's Island with Deadpool attempting to kill Dr. Doom, but now Dr. Doom is ready and is not going to go down as easily as he was before. Right, and it seems like life has not changed that much until we look at the last page and we see the Black Talon, and he has been a voodoo priest who has been resurrecting and manipulating zombies, zombies. Yeah. And he sets his zombies free and... And he retires the chicken costume. Yeah. He's, he's talking to a zombie and he says, I've seen things, Zed, things no living thing was meant to see. Proof that life is a beautiful, wonderful, fleeting madness. I've been serving death all my life. And I've seen what love of death will do to a man. And I ain't spending one more day pining for its embrace. So the book ends uh, on Black Talon's mirror, and inside the mirror we see that Thanos, his presence, his being, still lives. I think he returns during the course of Secret Wars. Yeah, I and think that, that's and the that's last referenced. time we see it. Yeah, yeah, and Secret Wars is referenced. Yeah, Eternity brings it up. So, Lisa, you were right. Um, this book was mostly about the relationship of Thanos and Deadpool. We didn't talk too much about Thanos' relationship with death, other than 
her being, you know, still of her purpose, wanting to bring death to everything and using Thanos as a puppet and never allowing Thanos to love her or never giving love to him because I think eh, she's incapable of it. Um, but final thoughts on Deadpool versus Thanos relationship wise, Brene Brown wise. I think that it's just another reminder to embrace the uncomfortable if you want to reach a goal. So we definitely saw that in Deadpool versus Thanos in Deadpool dealing with his inferiority complex next to the physical prowess that is Thanos. We saw that in Thanos dealing with his jealousy of Deadpool and the fact that it seems like Mistress Death is kind of into him for some weird reason, but they're over they're able to get over that discomfort to find Mistress Death. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that in Thanos' case, his entire fascination with death was this fear of the discomfort that he felt in himself and this idea of relief. But at the same time, he was actively avoiding death at all costs. Yeah, it's so, interesting. So it, was, so it was counter to his goal for him to to say that he was in love with death and to not die. Well, we have one more week of Thanos and death. I can't help but think about our relationship gurus from uh, our saga episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, he's just not that into you. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that book would really apply to this relationship. De uh, Thanos, you need to cotton on. Death is never going to love you. Stop pursuing her. Right. But is there anything from Brene Brown or maybe Thanos and Deadpool's relationship that you'd like to apply to your life or our lives together? The first thing that jumps into my mind is how Deadpool uses shock and awe to move past serious subject matters. You know, when when things get a little too rough for him or Thanos reveals a little too much in his letters, uh, Deadpool will, will, you know, make some obscene reference mm -hmm, like and get a laugh. Yeah, like teabagging. <laughs> you do a little shock and awe as well. I think we both do. But in, in putting a podcast together like this, where we're trying to be as open as possible in talking about our own relationships and relationships in general, uh, it is an uncomfortable process. And it is certainly something where you have to be okay with being vulnerable. And not every episode I am in that place. And sometimes you're in that place and I, I'm not and vice versa. That's challenging. And I think we are a lot like Thanos and Deadpool in this book. We just reverse sides every now and again. Yeah. Sometimes you're Thanos. Sometimes I'm Thanos. Sometimes you're Deadpool. Sometimes I'm Deadpool. Oh, man. Everybody should examine their relationships. Are you the Thanos or are you the Deadpool? Yeah. The thing you don't want to be is Thanos and death. Right. Right. <laughs> but I think you're on to something with this idea of, like, m moving through the discomfort, maybe being in the discomfort when we're putting this podcast together, because like our listeners may not know, like the discomfort isn't always on the mic. Sometimes mm -hmm. we have a creative difference off mic that we have to discuss and we have to be in a place like where we can emotionally receive. Sure. Well, you know, I know in the past in those off mic conversations around this podcast, I have fallen into defensive behaviors. Right. And when you become defensive, you know, I blame you for the problem or I um, uh, compare myself and 
uh, find fault in what I'm doing. Oh my God, Or I just pull myself completely out of the conversation and go into my dark hole. Listen to him rattle off the stages of shame. You are listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are steeping. It's beautiful. Yeah, so uh, this podcast is having an effect on me, Lisa. Don't worry. And we're building trust. You know, even 10 years over 10 years into our relationship, we're still building trust. And I think that that's beautiful. Yeah. But do you know what's really beautiful? What's that? Finding out what our next book is. That's right, because we are not done with Thanos and Mistress Death. Yes. Next week, we're coming back with part four in our series on these two horrible people (laughs) (laughs) or horrible concepts as death might be. Um, I want to close things out with Thanos Wins, uh, written by Donnie Cates and illustrated by Jeff Shaw. This is one of my favorite comic books of recent memory. I've talked about it a lot. I know I've spoiled things about this book already to you, Lisa, if you remember or not, plot-wise. There's some yeah, radical things in you here. you got to say, like, the title's pretty spoilery, though. Yeah, Thanos wins. Yeah. Thanos wins. <laughs> this You're going to have a blast with this book. Um, of the four stories we've read so far in this series, this is without a doubt my favorite and it might actually be my favorite Thanos story, period. Oh, you are being very vulnerable in this moment. What if I don't like this book? How will you receive it? Well, come back next week, listeners, and find out how Lisa feels. We're building trust. Uh, yeah, but I I, th- I think Lisa's really going to enjoy it. I'm excited. It. You know me pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, yes, Thanos wins. We'll end our conversation on Mistress Death and the Mad Titan. Lisa... Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week? Oh, thanks, sweetie. I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Brad, mm. where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, they can send their words of affirmation at Mouthork on all social medias. And of course, Lisa, they can email us now at cbccpodcast at gmail.com. Like Thanos, you can dictate it, format, letter of affection. Yes, please do. <laughs> and you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast, subscribing to us on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, and if you're feeling especially generous, you can leave leave us the gift of five stars and a really sweetly worded review, and we'll read it on the podcast, and we'll thank you profusely, because it really does help. Indeed. Lisa, can you believe that this has become our longest episode in the podcast's short history so far? Deadpool versus Thanos. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't have seen it coming. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did it. I certainly did it. But I hope everybody enjoyed it. So until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.